Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. And I saw that bird get a young deer off the bird and went far away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and look back, and that's when I thought I saw one. and uh so not 100% but still doing well I uh 
I have been indeed enjoying this beautiful, uh, rare uh, Portland weather, Oregon weather. So other than uh, a little bit of a cough and some sniffles, I'm I'm doing a okay. That's good. Well, I appreciate that uh, you you showed up today. So, I mean, in spite of your your infirmary, uh, <laughs> and we missed we missed you at uh, at Hop Squash. Plenty of people ask me, "Where's Shane? Where's Shane?" And like, you know, he he's uh, has a life outside of Bigfoot, and believe it or not. <laughs> so yeah, uh, super, we were out super weekend. So we well, I mean, uh, let me just touch upon. I'm super bummed I didn't make it. I really, really wanted to attend this event uh, and speak with Larry. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I was a little bit ill. I didn't feel like I should be uh, mixing, you know, mixing up with other people. I got some yard work done. Uh, You know, I'm the type of guy when I'm sick, I I sweat it out. I like to sweat it out. It seems to go by quicker. But super bummed I missed this event. Uh, but I did make it out this weekend, uh, <clears throat> along with, uh, our good friend Larry, uh, and yourself, Gunner. Yeah, and we had, had Tanya with us. We, uh, drugged them out to, uh, our usual research area, so, um, mm-hmm. and, and we had some interesting things happen. Um, you know, sitting in, in a camp Friday night, about, just about quarter to ten, and, uh, all of a sudden there was a howl. A long drawn out single howl from west to where we were sitting, and like we all looked at each other, and like, that was not a coyote. So that that was pretty cool. We got it on about I think Larry's up to about fifteen recorders now. So um, <laughs> yeah. but, he's a madman. But we no, but there, I mean, we definitely uh, Larry and I listened to it. Did uh, listen to it the next morning, and uh, it definitely was interesting. And there was a lot of uh, uh, other interesting uh, audio stuff that was on that recording. Um, I sat next to Larry at, at Hot Squatch, and he was telling me that there's some whistles on there, which we've had, you know, you guys, you and Larry were the first ones to uh, experience that up there in our yeah. our area. So, and I, I've heard once a couple, I've heard whistles a couple times since. Um, so, that was pretty yeah, cool. It's uh, so. very cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, I we it was really cool because we all heard that that uh, howl scream thing in person, um, and we all kind of looked at each other, and uh, just you know it's just a little bit different, or or at least uh, you know it, it didn't sound like a coyote or uh, didn't sound human. Uh, it was interesting, and I was it was really neat because we had just got done setting up all the audio out there, and so I knew that. It may not have been may not have been picked up perfectly on the audio because of some of the directions we were facing them, but I knew that it would be picked up by the audio, and then and then we could look at that on a spectrograph later. Uh, but uh, you know, I was really stoked about that. And then there was there was some other interesting things uh, heard that evening, uh, and also uh, recorded. Um, the whistles, um, you know, they're unique. Um, I've mm-hmm. heard them in the, the type of whistle. I've heard them in. Two different locations now, with the closest one being uh, with, you know, uh, Larry out there at camp, <clears throat> pardon me, and um, they're just unique, and and uh, I fully believe not a bird. <laughs> just does, doesn't doesn't uh, sound like any bird I've ever heard that type of whistle, but, um, and then with your dog's reaction at that time, we actually heard him at, in Tillamook was pretty profound. Yeah, and that, that first time, um, Larry's dog, it's interesting to see different dogs react. 
different ways because Larry's dog, Cody, ran at whatever whistled both times that when you guys were there. Mm-hmm. And then, then uh, you know, a few weeks ago, um, I did, uh, on a trip I didn't make, um, you guys had a, an audio event, and uh, um, Logan, like, like, got his hackles up, tucked his tail, and ran back to camp and then whined the whole night, mm-hmm. rest of the night. And I've, I've been, he's been out there, you know, on several occasions. He was out there this weekend, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, happy-go-lucky. Um, yeah, he never, you know, there was no sign of any distress or anything like that. What That was, uh, uh, yeah, it was odd. Um, yeah. But, so uh, the way, I, yeah, those two I, different I, events. Right, and I, and the, the way that different dogs react, Cody is definitely an alpha, alpha male dog. So, um, mm-hmm. he he uh, charged in head first and had to be called back that time when you guys were up there. So, and then after that, I mean, there's you know there's the whistling is interesting to me, I, and I've heard one firsthand right out in front of me, within you know within fifty yards in the dark. And obviously you yeah. can't see what it is, but but it uh, um, sure got my attention. And what was interesting on that, because we had different recorders set up that we could tell, we could kind of triangulate where it was behind one recorder, and it was in, in front of another recorder, which put it right where I, I thought it was, right out in front of me. And then when I listened yeah. to one of the recordings later, there actually was a howl that that came shortly after that whistle. Of course, I didn't hear it because I immediately walked back in the camp and like, do you guys whistle? And like, I knew that wasn't <laughs> it wasn't any you. You had heard it and thought it. And that's yeah. funny because you attributed it to, um, I think Larry was whistling or for Jess whistling for their dog, but and that yeah, wasn't them. Indeed. And I knew it wasn't anybody in camp. It was just funny that that was my reaction was to go back and like, <laughs> wasn't it you guys? Was it? Yeah. So. Well, that was yeah. That was very much my reaction. I just assumed it was Larry, and I don't know why right. at the time I did that. Just you know, we just didn't expect something uh, like that. Uh, same, you know, when at eleven thirty-eight at night, when Larry and mm-hmm. I were sitting at the camp, you know, and he had his dog next to us, we didn't expect to hear a whistle that close. Uh, well, two whistles that close. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and th- have the dog react the way it did. It was just so alarming and, and weird uh you know it was very odd and so yeah you just don't expect stuff like that you know so those things that you just don't expect you know a lot of times you're out there doing your thing and you're listening for howls and looking for you know evidence when uh, you just the, the whistles and so you just don't really expect it to happen when it does it kind of catches you off guard especially in the manner that say like you know larry's dog act reacted it threw me for a loop because i was like oh man that was close and uh your dog is ch- going after it <laughs> Not like a bird, like it was thum- like it was summoned, you know, and it comes back, you hear another whistle to the left, uh, and the dog reacts the same. Never seen a dog react like that. I mean, we're around birds and all 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 that sort of stuff, and the cr- crisp, clear night, no sounds, no birds, and these whistles come out of nowhere, and the dog reacts the way it did. It was just, it was just strange, very odd. And on a couple of occasions that, that we've been out there with, with Tanya's dog, Logan, he and we were mm-hmm. going up trail out of camp this time and um he alerted and um ran off the trail after and it was deer and then we all saw the deer take off so we know that you know the noise that we can probably eliminate uh, just by the dog's reaction deer as being the source of the the sound that you guys heard up there that 
that weekend. So, are you actually you missed it because you were rustling around in the brush where you usually spend a, a good deal of your time putting up trail cams and and uh, yeah, I completely. I just I just noticed the dog's reaction. I completely missed the the sound, uh, the yeah, bark. Yeah, yeah. But I just yeah, he I, was I'm looking right behind there. him. Yeah, he was uh, yeah, he, he was about uh, ten feet behind me, ten yeah. feet behind me doing his thing, and I noticed that he just towered, his tail tucked in, and he just looked very upset, and uh, he he just started acting real fidgety, and he took off running. And I was like, well, that's weird. I, at the time, I didn't hear anything, so I thought, what the hell is going on? And then uh, get back to camp and hear that there was this bark, and I missed it. <laughs> I know, uh, but uh, you were there in the the OP not this weekend, but the weekend before when when there was a bunch of activity and, and uh, you know, you recorded something really cool and you played it on the show last week and I didn't really, mm-hmm. I wasn't really able to pick it up that well, but you played, I was able to hear it at camp and, and watch it on the spectrograph. And, uh, yeah. And it, it sounds so much like, like what uh, David Ellis played for us last week. There we played a, he had an example, a clip that was actually known to be a, a gorilla slapping its chest. And then, Mm-hmm. Uh, play, played a, a recording that he'd gotten. I, I believe it was up in Washington, and then yours was up in, uh, yeah. in the Olympic Peninsula. And yours very fascinating that it sounds so much like like a, the gorilla chest slap. And and you were there, but you didn't hear you. You actually didn't hear that when it was recorded. In fact, you were talking about how how quiet the night had been. So yeah, indeed. Oh yeah, uh, you know, I, I had camped out there, um, kind of remote, um, a little bit different than what some of the things we usually do out there in Olympics, um, and had placed a recorder, oh, 40 yards away from camp, basically, uh, and um, on, on a stump, I'd covered it up, like my usual mo, and uh, it was just a really quiet evening. But the reason I was camping out there because there was a possible sighting. Um, mm-hmm. There was definitely something running around up there. Uh, possible sign by another olympic member and uh it was the whole thing was fascinating dude who who actually saw it and the following evidence the tracks they had found impressions and and whatnot so i decided i want to go up there and camp and um yeah um tanya accompanied me and she had her dog logan with her and we were camping out there. we placed recorders around and uh yeah it was really quiet evening really quiet never heard anything and then uh you know the following morning i'll uh you know, listened to a few tidbits. It wasn't until I got home and really reviewed my audio that I found that. And I, it was, this, this thing was fairly close to my recorder. And, um, not all, so when you look at a spectrograph, you don't always get everything on the spectrograph. You can't always, uh, it doesn't always register on there. So I had heard huffs and some movement on, on, on this, uh, in the nearby area and kind of piqued my interest. And then, I heard, you know, some more huffs, and then I heard this just slap. And I was like, wow. And it peaked up pretty high in the spectrograph. And so I sent it off to uh, Larry. And Larry, well, actually, I met up with Larry, and we, we listened to it, and we were both very interested. And um, we chopped it up, you know, cut a slice of it, the real interesting part of the audio, and sent it to David Ellison. He had corroborating uh, recordings of stuff he's recorded um, what, three times now. Um, and then uh, we compared that, or David Ellis compared it to, um, you know, a gorilla side in his chest. And it was just eerily similar. Even though the gorilla was a lot closer to the mic, it, you know, it peaked a lot higher. Um, it was eerily similar. 
And so just well, you know, it's just another thing to add to the, the database and whatnot. Uh, really happy that we got that piece of audio. There's other stuff on that audio. Uh, I got another really nice howl and uh, a couple of real clear sounding uh, wood knocks, you know, um, that I never we never heard, which is you know it's it's amazing. Usually I'm a, such a light sleeper. I'm surprised I never heard that stuff. But after hiking, I don't know how many miles in the last two days, I was pretty beat. So, anyways, but uh, you know it's, it's interesting that that chest slap because it has been recorded over. And there's only so many things something of that nature could be. And the fact to see it on a spectrograph and look at it uh, and compare it to a known gorilla chest slap, it's just it's really cool stuff, I think. And using and then using a spectrograph to to analyze audio, I mean, gives you a whole other level of of uh, comparison because you can look for anomalies and then you compare signatures because just listening to something, you know. What did I say when I heard it? I thought, oh, was that a beaver tail slap? You know, well, obviously, exactly. every piece of evidence requires context. And mm-hmm. and given all the, the – and audio more probably than anything else, you hear something, you need to know what the context of what, what it was, uh, what you heard. And, and having so much – so many different pieces um, of corroborating evidence in that OP recording of the chest slap and, and before that, there was, you know, a possible something described as definitely bipedal, you know, at crossing time, yeah. the trail, right? And then at times, and then and then there was actually a photograph taken, fuzzy, and you're trying to. Ch- I mean, this the the witness up there actually chased it, pursued. Oh yeah, and, well, and it's then James was, Million, uh, the guy's a yeah, he's a he's an awesome, a very fit, a very brave, uh, <laughs> long life hunter, uh, survivalist, and. Uh, He's one of those guys that, you know, he's got to see it, you know, so he, he chased after it, and it, it took off, and uh, um, it stopped at some points, and he even did a scream at it. He screamed at this thing, uh, and he got fairly close, but it was, the, the soul out and stuff was so high, it was hard to see. Went up a hill, and he lost it, just way too fast for him, but they did measure the stride length on the impressions they found, and they were 50 inches, um, and it uh, had snapped a good four-inch that, that uh, limb a, on the that, ground, smashed it. Um. <laughs> um. Honestly, I mean, we. I watched uh, our friend Cindy posted a, a video of a bear, a three, actually a three-legged bear, that's mm-hmm. that in the video, and I'd seen it before. The but for comparison, the you know just the gait of a bear doesn't look anything like what reported Bigfoot uh, gait sounds like, and and it's a very short gait, so you can mm-hmm. get you know on occasion in the right right conditions you can get a double strike, um, but you're not going to get a necessarily get a double strike with a, a bear walking on two feet. So that, that print would look nothing, yeah. would not look like a Bigfoot. It'd be very, you know, truncated, triangle ankle, you know, triangle heel. Um, and with claw, you know, you, a, a lot of times we'll see claw marks, but well, you're not yeah, going to get a funny to... strike from a bear on two feet. Right. So Yes, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> unless you miss the track in between or impression in between, which where they had found these impressions, uh, there was pretty evident nothing accepting, but as far as we could tell, uh, I did in that, that day, actually, hiking around, finding an impression myself in a different area, but not too far away, before I had heard of this encounter. I was pretty stoked, because I was like, oh, man, this is this is a really neat-looking impression. And, um, you know, Derek had, had texted me, said, hey, uh, James had a possible sighting of something. And, in, and to James' credit, he's not come out screaming Bigfoot or anything like that, like I said before. He's not rolling out bear. He just he just found it uh, very interesting in its behavior, and uh, 
some of the direction it took. You know, there are certain things that were interesting to him being a lifelong hunter that he couldn't necessarily explain, including the impressions. Uh, you know, and David Ellis was there to, um, you know, get some corroborating evidence and stuff. And so inconclusive, of course, but still interesting. And uh, the area that, that this encountered, we've had a lot – this happened. We've had a lot of stuff happen over the years, and we've really got a core okay. area now that we're really keep focusing on. on. And I talked a little bit to Derek uh, Randall's about about that, and he said, you know, this is a time of year in which the which the Olympic rustic is all about predictability and, and establishing patterns and and trying to you know trying to figure out what these if if these things exist. Um, and as David said, we're actually trying to prove they don't exist by eliminating all the evidence that comes through and say that you know, and then you're left if you do that and you you're left with a lot of it, and there is a lot of a preponderance of of evidence that that can't be explained away by any known animal. So, again, exclusion, you know. And and he was saying that April May is is a time of of high activity in in that area of of the Olympics, and uh, and it is an area that that other stuff has happened. And again, that's I always you know there's to me a, a, an anecdotal story. I saw something cross the road. Very, you know, interesting. It's fun to hear about, but I crossed the road and I found and I chased it and I saw it visually. You know, I took a fuzzy photo and I found tracks and I found a, a, a branch. You know, a lot of corroborating evidence. I think that's now, now you got something that that uh, is in an area where you've had other activity. In fact, um, mm-hmm. there was a thermal of a couple of, of individual um, entities for lack of a better word, bipedal that you witnessed. You were there when the, the that thermal was taken and found it very compelling. Um, besides the the activity of, of uh, the subjects in the, the therm. Um, and that was a Indeed. stone throw away from where this act- activity took place. So it all built... Literally, a, 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 yeah. Yeah, it literally. And, uh, you know, Derek and I, with that flare footage we had taken... Um, uh, that that evening, you know, it was an area that we've been working in for a while now, and uh, and had some interesting stuff happen, uh, including a trip out there with Adam Davies. Uh, very interesting stuff happened then, and we we were actually call blasting. Uh, David Ellis was call blasting that night. Some particular sounds, and uh, it was something we haven't really tried a whole lot. Therming while someone's call blasting from two different areas, and these the subject large uh, heat signature uh, appeared and then a second individual a lot smaller than the first individual appeared and uh, it looks like at times like it the larger individual puts its arm or something up on the tree uh, and and then the smaller individual um, which looks rather bipedal t- uh, takes off now uh, we've said the whole time we're not saying that 100% is Sasquatch we're naming, it could be we're not rolling out elk the, there is a, a population of elk there. It's about 40, uh, 40, 40 individuals thick that does inhabit this area, which is odd under the call blasting scenario and for them to appear the way they did. And for, uh, you know, we did a recreation and with um, a guy, and he was, you know, he's about 6'2", six 6'3", six he's a big guy. And he was he, he measured up to the smaller individual, but was the larger individual was almost double the size of this guy. So... Uh, Say what? It, it, it's interesting. What's that? <laughs> Say what? 
So you talk, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, talk, yeah, you're so, talking in a, 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 like in a 12-foot range. Quite um, a double is. Just, well, just double definitely that. width uh, and, and height uh, oh, width. a couple okay, feet. Right. I mean, yeah. Okay. I right. mean, just just broad. So you can't, you know, it, it's indefinitive. It's just, it's it's interesting um, based on the, the area and that stuff. Um, you know, so uh, definitive, no, not definitive. Well, we'd be having a different conversation if it was definitive, so. Exactly. But, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> another thing we add to our database, and it's an area that right. we just keep focusing in on, you know. And, and like you mentioned before, Gunner, we're about patterns, and I think we've really keyed in on an area that's just with a high, uh, high amount of activity and uh, some weird stuff happening and, and possible sightings, uh, tr- you know, impressions found, uh, lots of audio recorded, and it seems that this time of year, we get a lot of uh, interesting things happen, you know, and uh, I, I believe uh, with the Tilma group that we work with, we get the same sort of stuff, and we're still gathering data, and I don't know if we've nailed down um, really good times of year. I think we have a couple, you know, but predominantly we get a lot of audio throughout the year, so it's hard. It's just, you know, it's just interesting stuff. Well, it's a real, and the, our, our area in the Tilma forest is, is uh, pretty temperate. I mean, we didn't even have, I don't, I don't know that we had any snow up in the, the that elevation this year. It, it didn't last long, um, which is pretty unusual. So um, it's, you know, what what drives uh, an animal if if they exist, and you already know they do. Not that I'm calling you a no Oh, one. yeah. I, I just yeah. know that you've had a visual encounter. So, <laughs> but, uh, they, you know, what drives them to... to and I don't think they migrate. We, there's a lot of conversation. Do they migrate? You know, don't they migrate? They yeah. seem to move, follow the food source, and and uh, uh, move maybe move up and down. But but I've been in, involved in this Tillamook area now for going a good year and a half, and we've had activity that um, we couldn't explain as any other known animal um, almost year round. Um, there's there's been a few few times we've been skunked, you know, and I, I never go up there expecting anything to happen. Um, I was just like this weekend, I was surprised when, uh, that, uh, we had, you know, had a, uh, howl at, um, like I said, about quarter to 10 and, uh, just caught us all off, off uh, guard. And one of the things that I found fascinating is you had decided to remote camp, um, west of, of our, of our base camp. And that's the direction that the, the howl came from. And, I, you know, I always wondered, is, you know, when we do things, when we change our behaviors in an area, how does that affect, you know, other, if the, if they exist, if that's what we're recording and we're hearing, how does it, you know, affect these, these animals? So, yeah. Uh, and and if, I just thought, because a lot of times what we've had uh, audio, and we did have some other, howls and stuff um, from from the opposite location, basically from the kind of a southeasterly area from the camp, so not a, directly across, but um, that, that sounded um, different. It would yeah. have been a different individual. I don't think it was would have been the same animal running across, you know, several miles of forest in the pitch black. And, uh, but just, it, it's interesting when we do stuff in 
you, you've been talking about doing remote camping and just like you did at the OP going away from, you know, I think there's, there's some validity to what the, the hypothesis that if we go out into and remote camp in an area where we know there's activity that you, you mm-hmm. draw interest, you know, their curiosity of what, what the hell are they up to that they're out in my, you know, my area. And uh, yeah. I still think the, the experience that Larry and I had up there, Larry likes to call it the Jurassic Park night. And I, you know, it's <laughs> a night of like bumping. Um, it wasn't to me, it was, that was not my, I mean, I didn't feel, I didn't feel the vibration of the ground. Like, you know, like it was a T-Rex, but right. definitely a weird, weird sound, but we were doing something that we didn't normally, um, don't normally do. And that's go out of, um, east out of camp and right. Larry, I mean, I, Larry has a well-developed hunter's sense of stuff, and his 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 sense was get the hell out of the area. Um, mm-hmm. Where my night in my na- naive naivete is like, what the hell is that? What's making that noise? <laughs> Larry damn near had to pull me down the trail. I was like, dude, this this is not a good sign. We're being told to get the hell out of here. I'm like, yeah, but what yeah. is it? <laughs> what's making it? What makes a <laughs> a thumping sound that follows you. And I'm like, we got to go. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, um, uh, thanks again well, Larry, for saving my life that night. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, guy on the line, do you want to bring him in on now? Um, we could go make him wait a little. No, I'm just totally kidding. Yeah. Let's, let's bring guy. <laughs> yeah. On. yeah. We want to talk. Oh, we want to get to the, right. we want to get to this. This, this was a good, another good program. Guy just does a phenomenal job. So, Exactly. Uh, I hope you didn't I'm hear very it. sad I missed it, but I uh, can't wait to hear more about it. Guy Edwards, are you there? Yes, yes. Make me wait a little bit, I see. <laughs> well, well played. I'll get you back. <laughs> well, well played. Guy Edwards. Sorry, Mr. Shane. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a great event. Larry Lund was uh, very candid. And uh, for those uh, in your audience that are not familiar with Larry Lund, he is, uh, I, I, my nickname for him is uh, the fifth horseman or the fifth pillar of Sasquatch research. I thought he and, was the uh, fifth beetle. Right, the fifth beetle, yes. yes. <laughs> the other drummer before uh, uh, Ringo, right? <laughs> no, it was a great, another, go go ahead, go ahead. Why, I, so, I, I was, uh, uh, so for those that don't know, I, I actually worked, uh, been working on this for about two years, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, I was fortunate enough to be invited to these breakfasts that uh, Larry Lund and Joe Bielard and kind of these like uh, second tier or second generation Bigfooters that have all probably kind of rubbed elbows with the original Sasquatch researchers, and they often get together um, out in Gresham at a, at, a, at a breakfast place called Heidi's. It's a, it's a German breakfast restaurant. And uh, so it took me about a year before I felt comfortable enough to ask him, and uh, and it was kind of, it was a little bit hairy getting him nailed down to which month to do it. But uh, uh, what I find refreshing about Larry Lund is he's extremely candid. He really uh, feels comfortable kind of calling it as he sees it. He's a very nice guy. He doesn't talk trash about anybody, but uh, he just has such a unique uh, perspective. That, um, another way to put it is. He's the guy that you want to be hanging around the campfire with all night long and just have him just, you know, spew the different stories he had with uh, from people from, you know, Peter Byrne to Renee DeHinden to John Green. 
and uh, Grover Krantz, and he just, you know, he actually did research with all these guys. So it was all amazing. He did not disappoint. He um, shared a lot of great stories tonight. So it was, it was great. Oh, I no, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, it, and I, I got a chance to go up and chat with him a little bit, and and very down to earth guy. You know, he was one of those guys that that like um, when you know, you know, kind of like Doctor Meldrum is now, or say Cliff, or I mean, they or or Moneymaker that when they they wanted somebody for TV about Bigfoot, Larry was one of those guys. Um, right. I found out that there was a a false rumor that. That uh, and we I might have participated in spreading that on our uh, uh, promotion of Monster, this episode of Monster X, as I was under the impression that he had been on the Tonight Show, and he assured us that he most certainly had not been on the Tonight Show. Well, I but thought that was the case because there's that famous photo of him and Jay Leno. Like you can, if you Google Larry Lund, you'll actually mm-hmm. see the person you'll see in Google is that photo of him and Jay Leno. But I guess he never quite made it to the show, even though they. Met and became great friends. It sounds like. Yeah, and they, he actually had been to Jay's house and 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 got to look at his, you know, uh, well known that he's he's a car aficionado and and uh, Larry went to his place and that you know that kind of stuff is fun. It's not, obviously it's not uh, doing a whole lot to, for the Bigfoot research, but but uh, but his connection to the four horsemen. I mean he. He definitely is one of those guys that was involved in all that, you know, in in the Patterson Gimlin um, footage and and uh, good friends, and he's still good friends with the surviving Olsen. You know, Peter and and John are still around with us, but uh, you know, we've lost Dr. Krantz and we lost Renee to Hinden, and and he he is a great storyteller and, and shared a lot of stuff of, you know, apparently there was a little. Uh, uh, animosity between some of them at, at different times and and it, and that's not different than you know today different bigfoot researchers will will be at odds with, and i think of course it, it's worse with facebook and social media because it becomes you know all all uh misunderstandings are magnified one bazillion times by facebook and so, social media so it was funny because he was telling, well, how did you, that, there was somebody asking him, how did you get a hold of these guys? I think it was a question that you asked him, Guy. It's well, like, I was actually going to pick up on that, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, tell, I mean, his, re, his response was like, you know, I, there was a thing where you wrote on a piece of paper and then you folded it and you stuck it in an envelope with a stamp. I mean, it, you know, and some of that is actually, I think, um, it didn't stop them from not, you know, from having disagreements, but it does definitely slow down the process of, of, uh, and then, you know, telephone, they, they would send them your telephone number and pretty, I mean, right, was, you said, yeah, you, said, you know, back then when you, when you would call long distance, they would charge you an arm and a leg back in the day. Right. <laughs> and, right. And so he said, you know, they, and actually, you know, to, to save money, they would just do letters as well. Because if you, because uh, if you got on the phone with one of these guys, you know, you would want to talk to them for hours. You didn't, you know, charge by the minute back in the day. The other part that I think is is great is um, um, is that uh, he's an archivist, so there he has um, tons of uh, filing cabinets of letters that these guys would send back and forth to each other. And he actually has you know a copy of almost a, a lot of the uh, um, letters that these guys would write to each other as well in his home. So I've not got a chance to see those. I, I'm 
I'm probably going to go see him sometime before the end of the year. But I've seen during these breakfasts, he's actually brought a couple of these letters where these guys have actually mailed a letter to each other, and and uh, and he's made a copy. So he's a he's a great archivist. He basically has a museum that uh, in his basement where he used to let almost anybody and everybody come in, but he's a little bit more restrictive now. But uh, that's how uh, Cliff Barrickman from Finding Bigfoot initially got to meet him as he heard that this Larry Lund guy, otherwise known as the Sasquatch Sleuth, um, had a whole archive of the original Bigfooters and, and, and the kind of questions and, and uh, the responses that they would have to each other. So I can't wait well, he, to kind of like... And, and Larry made kind of a, a, a big statement as that he, he basically took credit for... Uh, Cliff Berrickman becoming uh, a Bigfooter. Yes, because uh, this, this is back. <laughs> yeah, he definitely took credit for that. You know, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, Cliff is is known for being a Bigfoot nerd, but more specifically, I think you know when you get to know Cliff a little bit better, uh, you realize that he's a real cast nerd, and uh, he's actually been able to bring some kind of insights to even Doctor Meldrum's collection of what these prints are and, and you know definitely everybody knows that Dr. Meldrum is a, is a cast nerd himself and and he thinks about the uh um the uh, uh the the different forms of all, all the different casts and stuff like that uh, the anatomy and, and the locomotion and stuff like that uh but uh, Cliff was able to look at Dr. Meldrum's uh, collection and, and provide some insights and I think that uh, I would say that you know Cliff not only has a bigger collection than Dr. Meldrum but also, uh, he is, I think, if you were to give an award to someone, the official nerdiest of the nerds for Bigfoot cast. And uh, uh, I, Larry Lund said today that the first cast that, he, uh, that Cliff ever got was actually from Larry Lund's collection. It's, you know, what's interesting is one of the first things when I, right after, uh, not too long after Al Gore invented the Internet, right. and uh, um, one of the first things I looked up was, was Bigfoot, and I got on this chat list. This was, you know, eons before Facebook. I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg was still, uh, uh, you know, he might have still been, uh, this might have been before he was uh, bought a twinkle in his dad's eye. But uh, I was on this chat list, and, and uh, Matt Moneymaker was on it. It was hosted by Henry Franzoni. There were, you know, there was, and I didn't know who any of these people were at the time, and there was before there was any, as, as, and with all due respect to the people on the show, uh, Larry likes to refer it to as not finding Bigfoot. So, uh, um, which, honestly, they haven't found Bigfoot yet, so, or, or conclusive proof of Bigfoot. Um, but, you know, um, and Larry was one of the people who was on that chat list. And I asked him, oh, wow. and I thought I, I, I knew him from that list, and we just all bullshitted about uh, Bigfoot, and, you know, um, some of us became podcast hosts, some of us went on to be, you know, TV personalities, and and uh, some of us were close uh, associates of the Four Horsemen. Right. So, and it, it was cool, because just the stories were, you know, and, and I, I think there's a lot of value in in the history of of how we got to where we are. I mean, if, if we don't have that and build on past experience and and we're just starting over every generation. And uh, Larry is, has, has 
the fifth horseman, um, really, you know, is is a, an archivist is is a, adding a huge value to to bigfooting. But but then again, that could be lost if someone like you guy didn't go and and drag him to a, an event where where um, our generation of bigfooters has an opportunity to be exposed to those stories and 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 the person. So. I, again, I applaud you for for uh, yep. literally working on this for a couple of years to get him to because he doesn't doesn't go out and and do a lot of public speaking. Um, no, and you know, and, and yes, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I I think that's that's uh, you know that's one of the things that he acknowledged is is I think the last time was maybe 2010 or 2011 when he did an event in Stevenson, Washington. And uh, that was the last time that he actually did a, uh, uh, any type of a speaking engagement. And uh, if, as a lot of people got to, got a chance to notice today, is super nice guy, calls it as he sees it. And, uh, and I think he was, in a lot of ways, you know, the unsung hero or the glue for the original Four Horsemen. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, mean, I was just thinking that, yeah. Because I mean, he, he always seemed to be in the good graces of all of them. You know, they might be that's fighting. That's exactly but, it, yeah. yeah right, absolutely. Right. That, and I think that, you know, even although they might have had their differences at any point in time, I think it was, I think it, uh, what we're able to also kind of understand is, is he was in their good graces. He had their respect and their appreciation. And I think, um, uh, you know, if you listen real closely to some of the stories, he was kind of the in-between guys when they didn't want to talk to each other, but they wanted to talk <laughs> yeah. to each other. You know, he was he was the guy that there was the go-between, and I think yeah, it's, it's a, it's a cre- yeah, it's a credit to his personality. I mean, he's he's uh, um, you know what you're going to get. There's no duplicity in his in in what he's trying to say or or how he's trying to present himself, but also he just yeah. may, you know he gives out a lot of respect, and I think you know when someone is that nice and that's respectful. I think you can't help, you know, kind of return the favor. So, um, and that's, yeah, his, I think his I, nickname. You know who I, you know who I, I'd uh, liken him to, in in our generation is that a guy like uh, J- Shane Corson. Everybody likes Shane, and everybody shares the story. And and I mean, no, I mean it's uh, <laughs> it's hard, hard to no. Don't, you don't get you, along. I mean, I'm, you know, the funny thing is, you know, everybody. I can't like say a name of a bigfooter that you like can't talk. You know. Uh, you know who they are, and it's funny is that you, uh, if Larry and I talk about like you retain information like a like a, a safe. It's like it's crazy. It's like how does he know all this shit? And like, but, <laughs> there, well, you know, but that's but you are a real there's people like Bigfoot. It's crazy. Well, yeah, I've got I think something to stand like too. I, I agree. With you know, uh, you know what I love about Shane is. He, I think everybody knows right away when they meet him is he's very serious about this, and I think that's mm-hmm. important. I think, uh, uh, I mean, you don't need to talk to him for more than two minutes to realize this guy's the real deal. He's very serious about this, and I think that kind of uh, seriousness, you know, is is kind of a relief because um, because he's in it for the actual phenomenon and the research. Where I think a lot of people, you can tell right away that they're kind of into Bigfoot because they want to be the guy to find Bigfoot. Whereas Shane is, I'm sure you'd like to be the guy, but Shane is just all serious about the research itself and and uh, is willing to you know 
uh, basically be a sponge and grab any piece of information. And uh, and he's well respected in the community. That's for sure. No, and I, I well, uh, that really, really important. I mean, is that one of the differences I think in this generation is there are some people, and and our group is one of those groups that that is willing. You know, well, we our goal is to to prove the existence of this unknown animal, this fascinating, you know, solve this mystery. But but I think we real also have a uh, a realization that that we can get there faster working together with other groups of people, you know, sharing information. Um, there's an incredible amount of of crossover between um, our Tillamook group and and uh, valuable. We we have other friends that we you know we share information with. And Shane is a big part of that. Larry's really good at networking with, I still remember getting up at Bigfoot and crawling out of my tent and Larry's like, you know, <laughs> holding court with, with John Bendernagel and Ron Moorhead and everybody. And Larry doesn't know who any of these guys are. I mean, he's, you know, Larry came into Bigfooting through, through an experience uh, that his daughter had. And then he went out and pursued it. And, and that, that was the, the birth of the, the Tillamook Forest Research Group was Larry, you know, most of the times those stories would be, all you would have is an anecdotal story and somebody went up and investigated and then it gets filed and that's really nice. And it, But Larry kept going up there and, and then his friend Mark for, you know, just kept, became obsessive about it to a degree that he was going to, you know, keep going and he kept stuff happening and and then Cindy got involved and then I got involved and then and then we, you know, Shane came on board, and, and Jess, and Tanya, and, and Barb. Hope I didn't miss anybody because I'll get a nasty Facebook post about it later. But was totally inadvertent if I did. But uh, no, I mean it's it it's uh, that the value, and then what you do with Hopsquatch every month. You know, you talk a lot about uh, the the wet Oregon, the West Coast group being behind in you know, versus what happens on the East Coast when, when really the the largest amount of evidence seems to come from this area, and and you are the you're the glue that kind of binds our community over here together, and and I think we're catching up. I mean, we. I think so. I appreciate that yeah. too because I, I think I think uh, you know. Um, I, I probably you know echo that every every hopscotch, but it was it was really nice for Larry Lund to to kind of jump chime right in right after I said that and said yeah Bigfoot is a is a Pacific Northwest phenomenon for sure and you know it's 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 almost odd um, uh, that you know that some of these other communities all you know from Ohio to to um, everywhere else where the, uh, Texas where they actually have a community that's more organized when I think that, you know, Bigfoot is definitely can be everywhere and anywhere. But to me, you know, I think Bigfoot is, is definitely a Pacific Northwest phenomenon. Bigfoot is ours, damn it. California. <laughs> Bigfoot is ours, so, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, uh, I, I, uh, there's, there's not a hot squash that doesn't go by where I feel or I hear feedback from people who have connected to hot squats and and kind of built this bigger community. So um so I, I you know I don't I don't think that, you know, my work is done by any means. I think there's still more connections to be had. But I love the I idea of, and a short way to say it is is I want 
I want other big fitters in other parts of the country to be jealous of Portland. You know, I want them to wish they lived out here so they could connect with the community out here. Well, the thing is, is I think it's already happening. I can see it because Ohio this month is having, or next month, now starting this month, this weekend, is having three separate Bigfoot conferences in the same location, one after the other. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, so there, and I, I you know was reading a, a post on Facebook about that today. And like, why can't we just have one? You know, so that shows a little bit of a fracture in the the community back there. But you know, if you hey, if you got three conferences full of, of participants, and God bless you, but uh, I, I, right. you know, I found uh, it, it's Popsquatch is like a home for for Bigfoot. We're you know we're kind of weirdos anyway because. It's funny to me when we bigfooters are fighting, and am I bigfooting better than your bigfooting? Because it's bullshit. Because we don't have we don't have the answer yet, so we're we're far uh, better off um, connecting and sharing information. We're not all gonna. Look, I mean, that's one of the cool things about Hopswatch is there's there's people of every, for back, lack of a better term, discipline, you know, and belief yeah. system, and and. I've yet to see uh, uh, anybody throw down yet. So, um, yeah, we've had, yeah, great... we had, we, you know, from from Tom Powell, who is part paranormal, to other people that are that are that uh, you know where they you know, they, you know the, uh, let me backfill a little bit. So there's huge debates: kill, no kill, whether Bigfoot's an animal or a person. You know, all these uh, whether it's paranormal, biological. You know, these all these big debates. I believe are um, our debates worth having as long as you're not too close to it. But, but I also believe that a lot of these debates are putting the cart before the horse, right? So, right, right. So I mean, we can all, you know, we can all, you know, kind of guess what what Bigfoot is. But you know, until we actually have that specimen, whatever, however way we find it, until we meet Bigfoot, you know, it's all speculation. And I think that's one of the things that uh, that most of the people in the Northwest. Uh, do as well as they they realize that they don't have a monopoly on it, but they but they are kind of loud and proud about what they're interested in. You know, uh, Tom is very interested in maybe there might be some kind of a Tom Powell might be interested in maybe some type of alien influence or something. You know, and uh, and uh, I think that's, well, that's good because we do yeah yeah right right. So, <laughs> So, but I think you know, to have what I would consider you know specialist inside the Bigfoot phenomena is is healthy, you know, because then then uh, you know we we're not kind of we're not echoing each other, we're not you know duplicating the research. But uh, I I uh, I can safely say that and when I look across the audience of everybody that shows up a hopsquatch, I know that the, that we have such a diversity in views of Bigfoot. And yet, everybody is kind of hungry and interested in hearing each other. I think uh, I think that's what is most imp- one of the things that's important to the Hopscotch audience is is they want to listen. They want to hear someone's different perspective. Well, and the the value in in having uh, civil debate without you know, which doesn't seem seem to be what that uh, you know, that Facebook is not a great forum for civil debate. For some reason, that's a you know some something negative happens on there, and it's multiplied over and over and over again so quickly, and you know things get out of hand, and and I mean, I it's hopsquatch is 
you don't have to agree with everybody. And you, you hit the nail on the head. We don't know what, you know, we're putting the cart before the whole horse, arguing the finer, you know, what their, their, uh, all the aspects of, of this creature are. We don't know. We don't. We can't even prove to with you know within a uh, to the general public that they exist. So to argue about whether or not you know they that they're how they get here and if they you know what kind of attributes they have, different aspects. I've you know um, Toby Johnson is putting up a, a video about ha- you know seeing uh, lights in the sky in association with. With a big with Bigfoot activity, right? Not, but that that's been and, and it's a fascinating video to watch. You know, he's, he interviews Ron Moorhead on there, um, Shannon Legros on there. Um, people that I you know I have an interest in and have respect for their the time that they spend in Bigfooting, and and I don't know that's not been my experience, but I'm not going to um, I, I listen when it comes down to it. I I look for Bigfoot, which people to right. the layman makes me a little nuts already. So for me to point fingers at other people that, that say they, you know, that they, they have, they do this or they have this attribute, you know, and I'm, I, Hey, I've, I've unfriended people on Facebook where I think, you know, where it becomes personal and, and, and the blow up, you know, the blow up on Sasquatch Chronicles was, was, yeah, Gunner, uh, and I apologize and I want to be refriended if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, well, the only reason that your friend only friended guy is because there's no love, buddy. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how much time we have, but I do want to talk about the possibility of you and Shane kind of helping me out with the hopscotch in June. Is have we talked to Shane about that yet, or is that public yet? Oh, uh, Shane will be fine. He'll be there. <laughs> um, no, I mean we, we've talked offline about that, about the, and actually I think. Shane was pushing for a, a town know. hall. A, yeah, like I mean, witness I be encounters. Yeah, so it, uh, we need to talk about the date and run the date by Shane because I I don't know what Shane's calendar looks like. The guy's the busiest guy in Bigfooting, so um, we we <laughs> talked today well, a little we, bit about doing it in June. So yeah, yeah. third Sunday in June, and uh, I you know I would. You know, I would definitely, you know, promote it. If if that date works out, you know, I'd promote the heck out of it so we could get these Bigfoot witnesses to talk, to talk mm-hmm. about Bigfoot stuff that uh, that we might not even know about yet, you know. And I'll put it out in the local papers and I'll say, if you've, if you've had a Bigfoot encounter, come come to Hopscotch in June. And we'll put the word I out, too. Fantastic idea. Are you, are you clear in June, Shane, you need to get – do you have your calendar uh, in uh, I will make myself for for an event like that. Uh, I would want to make it um, um, better than uh, most of the, this sort of event. You know, uh, as far as a, uh, a town hall thing, I want to make it something that uh, people can leave there going, "I learned something" or "I found something compelling." Or so, yeah, I'd definitely be there, and and I would do my darnest to make it one of the better um, uh, town hall meetings that have been done in the past it, it would it'd be above the rest in my opinion that's how how animate i'm i'm about doing something of this nature awesome because that's that's just that's right in there with, with the philosophy of hopscotch is to elevate all this stuff you know to take it up exactly. to that next notch and and i i word that you'll, you'll do that soon and the word that jumps to mind is epic i think we'll have an epic hopscotch <laughs> in june yes 
Yeah. That's that's so the word we'll, that everyone We will talk about this and maybe have uh, go have some dinner or something, talk about this and make it happen and uh, share some ideas. Um, I definitely really, really want to do this. I think it's a positive thing. I think it's something that's not been done yet with the uh, Hop Squatch events. I think um, there's a lot of value to this sort of thing, especially here in the Pacific Northwest uh, where there are a lot of credible people that have had encounters, and I think – it could be um, just fantastic all around. So let's let's plan this. But I did want to talk about Larry a little bit more, because mainly because I wasn't at this particular hop squatch event, which uh, I'm very saddened by. Trust me, <laughs> I, I try to make everyone that I can. Uh, and to see Larry Lunt in his element talking would have been epic. Unfortunately, I didn't make it. But that, Larry quickly, is described. Is that is that is that gonna are you uh, broadcasting <laughs> these events now? Yeah, so uh, so they will be broadcast. Uh, so so uh, Sorry, Mike Jake. Lesh, who is my videographer, um, has uh, been busy, but we do have them all recorded on high definition. So they will be broadcast, and then we'll also have them on YouTube. So uh, so we've got two almost in the can. They haven't been edited, and then we'll be able to broadcast these for sure. And uh, there was a couple of times where uh, where, we sh- where Larry shared some stuff that he asked us to turn off the camera, which was which was great for everybody who attended. <laughs> ah, sorry, burn. Burn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was yeah, I, no, sorry, sorry, no, I didn't, uh, that was not. <laughs> you know, well, it's five bucks. Uh, you got it. It costs five bucks to yeah. go, so you got to get you know something besides free Sasquatch coffee and uh, cool cool uh, Bigfoot blade. <laughs> right. Right. But uh, but yeah, we uh, so for anybody who is uh, within the uh, these will be broadcast on cable access to to uh, Metro um, East Community Media, and they will be on YouTube after we get them edited. And uh, so eventually, we want to make you know we want to make sure that everybody gets a chance to feel like they're at Hopsquatch, and I and I and I'm not worried about someone deciding not to come to Hopsquatch knowing that they're going to be on video uh, because there's really no uh, replacement of being there and kind of rubbing elbows with everybody. And uh, although, although you know, I do want to make these things accessible to everybody to a certain degree. So, well, but, we also uh, want to yeah. be able to, to to put them up there so we can thumb our noses at the the people back east. If they see what we right, have and you don't right. have it, yeah, let them know what they're missing <laughs> out on. Damn straight. But uh, you know, so, Larry Lunt. He he is he's been called you know his nickname is the Sasquatch uh, sleuth sleuth you know uh, he's, he's been doing it? this for pardon <laughs> no go ahead I'm not I'm, I, I just heard you <laughs> oh okay he, but he's been that's, doing this for forty plus years yeah well guess what <laughs> but he's been doing this for forty plus years um, he describes himself as a authority but not an expert. You know, and uh, I think that's important because there's a, a great distinction there between an authority on the subject rather than an expert. He he, he does say there's no experts out there, but he, that he does describe himself as an authority. And I look at uh, Larry as an authority. You know, he's worked with um, and done his homework. He's been doing this for such a long time. I, I was just curious, uh, did he go into, you know, his thoughts on – if there have been any invent, any advancements, any uh, progressive uh, uh, research stuff going on nowadays that 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 he's looking forward to that have have not been done, 
um, the last, say, 40 years. I mean, is there anything that, that, that he's, he's possibly speaking to? Because uh, he, is, he is skeptical by nature, and, and, yeah. and that speaks volumes about the guy because he's never just latched on to anything. He, he's found tracks himself. He's found tracks on multiple occasions. He's gone out and looked uh, at reports and everything else. But is there anything new that he described about nowadays that uh, he found um, going in the right direction, anything like that? No, you you really, yeah you hit the nail right on the head because there's, there's two points that you just made. The Sasquatch sleuth we found out was actually a name that was given him by Rene de Hinden. Wow. And so what what had happened was like now when you get one of his business cards, it actually says a Sasquatch uh, squ- uh, Sasquatch sleuth. And yeah. it is a hot yeah. spot. <laughs> right, right. And and uh, and uh, the and. He picked up that moniker and he loved it and he kind of ran with it. Um, the way he got it was um, one day in his mail he actually got a, a pack of a, a hundred or five hundred business cards that said the Sasquatch Sleuth uh, with his name on it and his phone number and his uh, email address and he didn't know where he got it from. And eventually Rene de Hinden admitted that he was the one that made got these business cards made and so Rene de Hinden gave him that name because. Um, Although uh, a lot of people were doing research on Sasquatch and you know what is this creature, what is what is uh, you know how hairy is he, how big is he, what is his, what is his uh, um, uh, um, uh, foot Sorry. length, and how big is he, Larry was the guy that actually investigated the witnesses more so than anybody else. So uh, so whenever somebody had an encounter or talked about an encounter, um, Larry also investigated the actual story or the actual uh, encounter itself more so than what was the creature. And so he got that nickname actually from Rene de Hinden. And uh, I didn't, we didn't talk too much about process, um, although he, a little bit we did. And he says that, you know, and I asked him what he tried, and he said he's tried everything, you know, from, from, uh, from call blasting to playing different music to uh, um but I did get a chance to ask him where he would go investigate Bigfoot if he had all the time and the money today to do it. And Gunner, if, I think he said Harrison Hot Springs in Canada, right? Uh, he did. We, yeah. So he said up in Canada would be the place that he would go to. And uh, he kind of picked up a little bit on, um, uh, and, I, and I, I mentioned, you know, maybe we need to, you know, instead of chase Bigfoot, go to the latest sightings, spend some time out there. And I think he kind of echoed that too, saying that that if we're going to do Bigfoot research, you need to stick in the same area for for a while. You know, uh, not just one, one weekend, not just for one week, but uh, for a whole season if you can. And uh, he said the place that he would pick is actually in Canada. And uh, what is that? What was that place called? It was actually called Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Sa- Sasquatch. Sasquatch Mountain was or Sasquatch. Um. Park? Not camp. Sasquatch Park. I think it was Sasquatch Park. Yeah. yeah. I mean, He's what, up, what up a better place to go. Yeah. So if I, you, in that area, I guess. So, yeah. It's, so now, so now, every, now that everybody's listening to Monster X, they can all, we can all meet up there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Next weekend. But uh, the, any, um, it's interesting because he was talking about, you know, a long-term Jane Goodall kind of, uh, Experience and have somebody out in the field like that. I mean, you know, with the upcoming with the Falcon Project, I mean, there that that's one of the things that I find fascinating and having potential is having 
you know, you got a group of people with technology um, going out uh, into an area that ha- has a history. And yes, they don't have the blimp yet. Yes, that's right. Um, they may never have a blimp. Um, but oh, oh, really? I didn't hear that part. <laughs> um, but there is a guy I know that in, in Oregon a while back that uh, you know uh, blew up a whole bunch of uh, giant helium balloons and tied them to a lawn chair. So worst case scenario, you got that to fall back on. And I'd volunteer Shane to do that. But uh, right. I, I can't tell if you're serious right now. <laughs> no, well, there, no, there was a guy that flew his lawn chair full of, you know, tied hot air balloon or tied a bunch of huge helium balloons to it, and then floated from Oregon to Idaho. I think that rest. I mean, it was. It's been several years ago, but I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that as, a, as an alternative to uh, the airship, the Falcon projects, uh, working on. But I mean, the idea well, of them being, you know, having a group of people out in the field with a lot of technology um, for for a six month period of time to initially um, is, I think, has huge potential. I mean, and it's being financed. It, you know, it sounds like the financing is coming together, and that's um, that's the I think the best project that I'm aware of of that nature um, at this point. I don't know anybody that's been out there for that long or. Um, you know, and and with the purpose of studying Bigfoot. So, yeah, well, I still I still think you know, uh, you know, those, uh, you know, I know that FLIR has you know technology that's available to the public that they sell to the general consumer, but uh, um, uh, but I but I do know that they actually have different technology that's reserved. For the military, that is even better than what they have available for the consumer. It's very expensive, but mm-hmm. I I think that you know that would be a I mean I'm, even going back to that Finding Bigfoot era, uh, episode where they had those field mice or whatever those small rodents that were like a mile away that you can actually almost count the hairs on their tails, you know. So <laughs> I, I I think I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but I thought that it was very high definition when they had that you know so. I, I would think that there's got to be somebody that can build up a relationship with Flair that you don't even have to be in the sky. You can actually, you know, do things, you know, on ground from far away where you get such high definition Bigfoot, you know. I mean, I've, uh, right. I've, I've, been, a little, I've been a little critical of the Falcon Project just because, uh, uh, just because it's, they've been, you know, um, excuse the pun, trying to get off the ground for more than five years, so. Well, and that's sometimes, I mean, it's, one of the challenges, of course, in in bigfooting is it's a hobby for most everybody, you know. Right. So, other than a few folks that have been on TV, we pay to go out bigfooting. We're not paid to bigfoot. Um, you know, there's a few people that that have had some funding thrown their way, but it's it's not. You know, the whole and and one of those big projects was the Erickson project that came out of the BFRO. And what and you know for years and years we were led to believe that there was some really compelling evidence that was going to prove for once and once and for all that that they exist and it was so you know and what has happened um, it, it looks like a rug you know a rug uh, in the woods and and some funky looking Chewbacca mask and I'm not suggesting that's I mean that could be it, maybe it's a Bigfoot but it sure looks it's it's it, certainly didn't end the debate by any means so um and that that's a project that had some money thrown at it the you know the falcon project 
I guess my my uh, I got to give it to to William Barnes that he is has uh, uh, stuck with it this long and 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 it looks like it's coming to fruition. At least the the ground portion is getting underway. So well, no, I mean it either it will or it won't. Just like everything else, you know, every time we go out in the woods, we're we're hopeful that that uh, we come back with the conclusive evidence, but Larry forgot the rope this week, so. One of the, see, the, the reason I asked in regards to Larry Lund as far as, you know, has anything been, does he see anything new happening in the field that, that uh, is a little bit different than it's been done in the last 40, 50 years is because uh, I, for one, do not want to continue along the path of doing the same old, same old and getting the same results. I'm, I'm, I am personally, and I know lots of others are, uh, are constantly involved in trying to up the ante, trying to think outside the box, trying to uh, really do their homework on the subject matter and, and look at what's been done in the past, look at those that have been doing what they're doing, and build upon that. And I, I do see that happening. I just was curious as if Larry had uh, any thoughts on that, and uh, maybe that wasn't a topic he discussed tonight. But I, I do personally see advancements. I do see uh, uh, in possible um, patterns being built and uh, stuff like that. So that's the stuff I key on that really interests me personally. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I will, you know, one of the things that you did say that I thought was interesting is that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, what a lot of people are doing now is, is doing the night hikes with the night vision and stuff like that. He is still a huge proponent of going out during the day and trying to find Bigfoot. And uh, one of the things he said is, you know, our best evidence that we have is Patterson-Gimlin, which was done at 1.15 in the afternoon. And so mm-hmm. uh, so he was uh, uh, pretty passionate about, you know, uh, about going out Bigfoot during the day. That's when not only is, it, is you're gonna, are you going to get better footage, but, you know, there's, there's no reason, there's, there's, uh, there's not an overwhelming evidence that Bigfoot is nocturnal. And uh, even though there's a lot of sightings of people almost seeing Bigfoot like at night and stuff like that, he's saying that there's no reason that Bigfoot's not out during the day. And especially since Bigfoot is hanging out, doing walks, doing, you know, exposed during the daytime, that's, that's where you're going to get the best evidence. Uh, if you're trying to get evidence and you're trying to, you know, well, uh, showcase to the well, in evidence, photographic, but you know what, who's who's going to be finding um, tracks or impressions or hair at night? It's not going to happen. Right. It's so right. difficult during the day, let alone night. So, yeah, I totally agree. Some of the, or, or good portion of the evidence has been found during the day, whether it's footage or hair or, or impressions or possible sightings, uh, and that's been corroborated with both the Tillman Group and uh, the Olympic Project. And uh, Derek Randalls is a big proponent. You know, he loves doing the night off and everything else, but he's one of those guys that will get out on the field during the day because he fully believes that uh, in, in looking for evidence during the day. Because uh, you can see during the day, we're not nocturnal uh, by nature. You know, we're out of our element when we go out at night. We're in a whole different realm, you know. And, uh, yes, thermal uh, footage uh, can be compelling and interesting, but your best uh, avenue for finding evidence and, and getting that visual is going to be going to be during the day, putting yourself in these these areas where 
you know, uh, you've built patterns up or, or there's been sightings and stuff, and uh, that's where you got to put yourself. And it, I do believe it has to be long-term. Um, you know, uh, no weakened warrior stuff. Uh, unfortunately, most of us are kind of tied down with a good portion of that. But long-term, Jane Goodall style, I'm, full, I'm totally for. Unfortunately, I can't afford to do that. Uh, but I do it as much as I can, and many, many others are doing the same thing. I'm pretty sure that Bill Gates listens to Monster X Radio. So, Bill, I know you're kind of a closet Bigfooter, and if you're wanting to sponsor the, a long-term Monster X Bigfoot um, investigation in, out in the field, we're happy to, to uh, accommodate you. You can come along. Oblige you. We're obliged. We'll bring Sasquatch coffee. Um, come stop by, you know, third Sunday in uh, Portland, Oregon, and, and join us at Hop Squatch. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and, never and, and, yeah. and Mr. Gates, if it sweetens the deal, I will be a part of that, too. Maybe that'll you will get, Yeah, help. you will get to see Guy, guy Twerk um, out in the field. <laughs> so <laughs> get his money that is scary. I mean, that's at your money's worth. So we're only looking for, like, a billion, I think, to get us started. Um, that's but, – but in all seriousness, I mean, that's – it is. There's a challenge, and there's value in doing field work. You know, field work daytime and and night. And obviously, there's like you say, I mean, the uh, it's the whole picture. It's the whole picture. Yeah, the it can't be just done at day, and it can't be right. just done at night. It's the whole picture. It needs to be done twenty four seven. And and right. uh, some of us are doing that as much as we possibly humanly can. Um, but uh, long term, and by long term, I mean weeks, months. Um, you know, on end, it, it's very yeah. difficult. But it that's that's what it takes. I, I fully believe that's exactly what it will take. Um, and uh, most of us are trying the best we can with what we got. And uh, you know, well, it, it just it comes down to that. You know, it, we're not. And I, we and are on the fringe. Go ahead, guys. I think it's important. I think, and I think it. You know, definitely the 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 best research we can do happens to be the most expensive and I'm just mean expensive as far as money, but time is is very expensive too. And for someone to spend that much time away from their family, away from their job, is is pretty hard to convince anybody to do. That's a huge commitment. And so right. um I I think you know we we you know I, I we just have to plan on a way to make that happen. And uh well, we're gonna see we, we're gonna see some of that with the I mean the you know, everybody's, you know, got their opinion about the Falcon Project, but they've found a group of people that have committed to being out in the field do it, concentrating on Bigfoot research yeah, for true. six months. So whether yeah. or not, you know, we'll see we'll see what comes out of it. I mean, there may be, you know, best-case scenario, they they uh, prove it conclusively. Worst-case scenario, that's a great um, uh, opportunity to see what this kind of activity for, for that length of time and that commitment to you know, will will yield. So, I know they're right. going to be doing stuff in the day and at nighttime. So, um, totally agree. Uh, it, it'll be interesting. So, I'm supportive of the idea of the, you know, the Falcon Project. And however long it took to get the get it done, you know, every idea, it, it, you know, I got a, a bazillion great ideas that, but they all take time to to uh, come to fruition and planning and the financing and. All that stuff. So, so it's, we'll we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting uh, um, experiment and experience. 
So I, I know that uh, I'm going to take a, a shift or two of, of being a runner, taking supplies out, um, and and uh, several of our team members for the the mm-hmm. group because our our friend Cindy Fidel uh, is actually the coordinator for the runners for the Falcon Project. So uh, it, right. it, it, that I mean that's, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens if anything comes out of it. So. So, uh, so, they made, so have they made public which areas they're going to investigate or work? They're, they are not making public where what areas they're going to investigate, with good reason, obviously. That you know, not a good. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I believe, I think that I think it's been stated that it's somewhere in Washington State. So yes, where where, I mean, obviously, I would not go tell people. We're very careful not to um, tell people specifically where that the Tillamook go group goes and and does the research because um, when I got involved and we, we kind of gelled, I, that's one of the things I insisted on is like, we need to be very careful about not making this public knowledge because to reduce the, um, the opportunity for people to hoax us. And that was, and right. it wasn't to, not to, it wasn't to exclude, exclude people that we thought would like to come up there. And, you know, we still take people, our friends, guy, we've talked about you coming out. But, uh, Which I still love to do, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, well, I mean it, makes, it makes sense. I mean, you know, even, uh, you know, these uh, scientific peer, uh, peer-reviewed articles, you know, usually by the time they button up the actual uh, publication, the research, you know, this is all after the fact of, you know, once they've done their due diligence research and all that stuff. And so, you know, it makes sense that, you know, after you've worked the area for as long as you can and, and done all that, mm-hmm. then you kind of provide people with the with, uh, with the public information, you know, otherwise, right. uh, um, otherwise, you know, you, you, you tell people that you know, you're go- going someplace, you know, this weekend, you yeah. know, it'd be very easy Here's, for everybody to rent a Bigfoot costume. Right. Here's a, here's a, uh, the GPS coordinates of where we'll be. Yeah. Not probably not such a good idea, but so it'll be like I said, it, um, worst case scenario, they, you know, they, they get skunked, but I, I, I highly doubt that if they they uh, are in a, a squatchy area for six months, and with the level of experience of some of those people, you know, there's yeah. there's some there's some great bigfooters that are part of that that group. I don't know everybody, you know, that that's doing it, but but I know some of the people that that are involved in there. They're an asset to bigfooting, and and if there's something out there, there something's going to happen. They'll they'll come back with something. I suspect. So, well, that and many of the people involved are very um, skeptical by nature. They're not just full on uh, everything's Bigfoot, and that's where I I hold my my hope for is that um, if something does happen, it'll be documented correctly uh, by every means necessary uh, with those individuals that I do know that are going out there that I have a lot of trust in and and um, whatnot have had correspondence and uh, been out in the field with so. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that aspect of it, let alone, you know, if the, if the blimp ever gets off the ground or not. The ground crew, to me, could be the bigger piece of the puzzle for the amount of time they're spending out there. Um, and that's that's key. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit jealous because I'd love to be out there that, that for that extended time. And I can only imagine the possibilities for doing such an endeavor, you know. But, uh, you know, i got to pay the bills and uh, you got to tend to the family and everything else. <laughs> Damn it! That's right. That was my best Larry imitation. 
But uh, yeah, yeah no, it, um, the the idea out there is just I mean it's cool uh, the idea and then they have a process for for handling the evidence not to turn this into the Falcon Project show because we've done those already but, right right um, the I, I'm actually I'm ex, I am excited it's funny because Bigfooters get together and we start talking about you know different stuff that's going on it's funny when Shane and I get on the phone and we're hey let's let's uh, talk about the show and. And setting up, I was like, we we talked for an hour and a half, and we oh we better audit we well we'll call back later and talk about the getting the show scheduled because we're talking about Bigfoot. <laughs> so, um, but indeed, yeah. And the way that you you know the way that Shane approaches Bigfooting is is to try different things and not just go do the same thing all the time and and you know test theories and hypothesis and. Well, and you know what? I have the benefit. I have the benefit of looking at. Uh, what's been tried before, and who's tried it before, and how they've tried it. So I have the benefit of being um, new to, new to trying different things, looking outside the box, because I can look in, in, at some of the forefathers or some of the people who have been doing this for so long. I have that benefit. I can look at the history and go, okay, well, let me let me take this and 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 tweak it a little bit, or let me try this out in the field, and. Um, there's other people doing this. I'm by no means, you know, uh, somebody new trying this. But in, it, it really comes down to these areas that we work in that we really believe there's activity going on in and then trying and tweaking and, and doing different little things that have not been tried before uh, or trying them in a different way. And that that is truly key to me is is doing those types of things and, and uh, seeing what you get out of them. And not being stale, you know. Uh, if you're if you're not getting results, it's you know I I do a lot of fishing. You know, if you're out on a, on a river fishing and you're not getting anything within you know that area that you're fishing, you move on and you fish a different area, or you try a different technique, uh, maybe a different depth, uh, you know, a different type of lure. It's, it's very much the same. Uh, you're always constantly trying to mix it up and uh, learn from that and document exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it. And learn from that, and uh, that's why I'm so thankful for those that have that I'm I'm walking on the shoulders of that have been doing this for a long time. Um, how much I I can learn from them, and it's a you know it's a learning curve for me personally, but I do believe um, that a lot of us are doing things differently, and but yet the same, but trying to learn from our past mistakes or, or uh, past research that has you know, brought something positive from. Right, and that's, and, and to circle back around to our, the guest at Hopsquatch this, this week, I mean, the guy, he was the glue that, you know, that kind of held the four uh, horsemen of, of Bigfooting together and, and the great archivist. So we now have, you know, without him, um, where would that, that information and, and that database of stuff exactly. go on? It's like, like Ray Crow, that of a, you know had the Western Bigfoot Society and and held these cool meetings for a long time. That that kind of was a you know uh, a similar uh, guy has taken that uh, Ray's idea of of having monthly Bigfoot meetings and expanded on and made into something super cool for for this generation of Bigfooters. I mean, it, it, and exactly. and then he gets us. Hold on, I got I got. I, I'm in Portland, right? And I don't know how many cities actually have have pedal brew carts. They actually drive. They it's a big cart where a bunch of people pedal this thing from bar to bar. 
So I'm pretty sure by the end there, that that uh, pedal cart is uh, going to be swerving back and forth. But it just it's uh, <laughs> it just went by and they're playing loud music. So excuse me for that. Well, Mr. Guy but, uh, Edwards, you're you uh, you're the host with the most, buddy. And keep doing what you're doing, bringing programs. We we're uh, going to work with with Guy to to put together a super cool, uh, apparently epic. Uh, town hall for Epic. for Hopswatch in uh, in uh, in G- for the June Hopswatch. So if you can make it, you know whatever you got to do, take a boat, take a plane, you know take a train, <laughs> airship. If you got an air, if you happen to have an airship handy, jump on that thing and mm-hmm. fly it up to to the Lucky Lab um, on. And then, and then and then and then load it to the Falcon Project so they can actually get some cameras in the air too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, maybe they'll have there it by go. then. You never know, you know. But, um, <laughs> Live, yeah, we can actually live from the Falcon Project blimp, Hot Squatch. That's right. Sponsored yeah. by. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's right. Okay. Right. You know, I think you know, they, and I really appreciate you know the kind words that you guys say and the support that you guys do for Hot Squatch. Um, I don't know how many big players get to go to these uh, uh, you know, annual conventions, and uh, even though I think they're great, you spend you know a couple nights in a hotel room and, and get about two to, two to three days of different presenters. But um, having something like this every month is kind of nice too, because I think you get tons of information for a couple hours without having to travel very far or get a hotel room. And uh, and you and I try to bring the best of the best as far as you know speakers. No, and you, and like we, you know, to, to not give you a big head and keep slapping you on the back. Yes, you're great. I know you'd rather we slap you on the butt, but um, good job, good game. That's the the, the joke, running joke is slap somebody on the butt. It's a good game, but uh, it, you, you do, you, yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, you do uh, have created a really cool event for all bigfooters of all different um, stations of. A, a big footing and and uh, well, it's the I, involvement. I just look forward, you know. Yeah, the involvement. You know, it's it's one of these really hands-on events where the the participants, uh, the crowd gets to in get to talk to the the uh, guest speaking and whatnot. Gets to uh, interact, and uh, it's just very one-on-one. You know, it's like the coolest uh, classroom you can imagine when you're there. And I always am. Uh, you know, like I am this time around, where I didn't make this particular one, I try to make most of them. I'm really bummed because I know of the involvement and interaction. A lot of the member uh, participants that show up, you know, uh, are new. A lot of them are regulars, but you get this interaction and you get to find out what's going on in certain areas and stuff. It's just a really, really spectacular event. It's just, it's nothing like it, you know, and it's just uh, that awesome. This episode of Monster X Radio brought to you by Hop Squatch. Hop Squatch, have you been there lately? <laughs> That's Hop Squatch with two S's, H-O-P-S-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com. Right, and and if, if people want to check out, but in seriousness, if people want to check out upcoming Hop Squatches, there is a website, and, and Guy does uh, post this up, what the upcoming program is. So it, it's www. Hopsquatch, H-O-P-S-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H dot com. And I did that in my mind without seeing on a piece of paper. 
So Congratulations. The Bigfoot Lunch Club. Thank you. Yay. The Bigfoot Lunch yeah, Club is a smorgasbord. It's a, mm-hmm. a smorgasbord of food. So, yeah. <laughs> a Bigfoot brain food. So, yeah. And, and guys are always posting cool stuff in there, too. Uh, that's Bigfoot Lunch Club, which... Uh, Bigfoot Lunch Club. Guy is, Old guy, we're about thing. out of time. We are. So it's... Uh, Appreciate you you coming and joining us, guy. I know you had to thank you for dash the invite. across the city, um, like a like a superhero, and uh, jump on <laughs> with us. So, um, what's what's up on on uh, next month at Hopscotch? So we're gonna have Joe Bielard. Joe Bielard has a big that's actually available. So if you can't make it to Portland, where he can sign it personally, it's called the Oregon Bigfoot Highway. It is a superb book. It's not like any other Bigfoot. Um, it's actually got a dual purpose. It's actually got a, a little bit of a tourism aspect to it. But um, uh, there's a Bigfoot, uh, Oregon Historic Highway number five, I believe, is all along uh, um, uh, in, in Clackamas, uh, in the Clackamas mm-hmm. County, which has a, the biggest amount of sightings per capita than any other county in the nation. And Joe Bielart yep. has all these great stories traveling north to south on this highway of uh, stories that we don't know about. They're not published on the Internet. These are his personal notes, and he is one of those yeah. big putters that actually did actually actually did a great job chronicling um, everything that he that he researched, everybody he interviewed, every, every witness that he ever talked to. He actually has all these great notes. I've been waiting for this book for about three years since he first talked about it. I actually got the audio version because I actually drove down the highway with Joe Bielart I promise you, if you are able to make it to Portland and you can get your hands on this book, it's called The Oregon Bigfoot Highway. It is a great book. It's definitely one of my favorites in my collection right now. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming um, and joining us, Guy. And, and uh, Shane, thanks for coming. I'm sorry you couldn't make it to Hopsquatch, but you can you know always see the, the video version that's to be available Looking uh, forward to it. sometime <laughs> online. <is it? laughs> so... Uh, everybody, thanks again for, for listening to Monster X Radio. Um, this is Gunner along with Shane and uh, our friend Guy Edwards, and we are out of here. Keep it squatchy.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.